0: Today's episode is going to be about true default divorce cases and the issues that people have when they try and do a true default divorce. What that means is it's a default with no agreement. Uh, we get lots of rejected items coming in, clients hiring us to help those, help them with their divorce case. And many times it's because they're trying to do a true default divorce. All that really means is that there is no agreement, whether that's because the other party is not involved Or intentionally doesn't want to be involved. Or in many cases, I will ask when people say, "Oh, we, you know, I'm trying to get through the divorce process, and we're in agreement, but my spouse doesn't want to participate for one reason or another." Sometimes they think they have to file a response, and so they don't want to pay that secondary fee. But that's not the case. It's the most difficult process to get your divorce done by trying to do a true default divorce with no agreement and there's reasons for that and i want to go over the different reasons that this comes up i'm going to talk about the issues with true default cases as it pertains to property division as it pertains to spousal support issues and as it pertains to children i always tell folks do a true default case as a last revo- resort that's the only reason it's there is to get through the divorce process if your spouse will not participate When I have these calls with clients having difficulty getting their true default cases, the first question I ask them is, will your spouse participate? And most of the time, 99% of the time, the answer is yes, my spouse will participate, but they either didn't want to bother them or they thought it would be easy getting through the process. I'm also going to be talking about a couple of cases we took on this week that were uh, done by attorneys where they were amicable. Um, but one spouse got an attorney to process their paperwork, not a problem, but they actually showed as representing them on the court record, which means they're not going to help the other spouse with their paperwork. And so in all of these cases that were done by attorneys that we had to take over and finalize because they could not get them through the court. So that's how tricky a default divorce is, a true default divorce is. It's so tricky that this week, we took over three cases where these attorneys, three different attorneys were trying to finalize a default divorce case And there was on one case, five rejections so far with the judgment to where the court said, hey, you need to set this matter for hearing because we need to see what's going on. So if an attorney is having trouble with the true default case, then you know that what I'm telling you is to treat it as a last resort. We're also answering your questions today. So those of you that are joining us, feel free to ask questions. Uh, We're not giving any legal advice, but if you have questions about the divorce process, the paperwork, maybe you're trying to do your own divorce, you're having rejections and so forth. Uh, Let us know in the comments and I will uh, try and check that and we'll answer those questions at the end. But today we're talking about true default issues when you're trying to file your judgment and having them rejected. So true defaults, they are highly technical. Why is that? Because when you file a petition for divorce, in that petition, you're going to make certain requests for alimony, whether you want it or not, reserved or terminated. If there's kids, you're going to mark down custody and how you want that to be applied. If you have uh, property, assets, debts that you need to divide, you're gonna list how you want to divide that. And it's highly technical on a true default case because let's assume you know your spouse isn't gonna participate. When we have clients say, I know my spouse won't cooperate, and there's assets and debts, we have to file the petition in a specific way. You have to detail, and if you've watched my videos before, I tell you, do not file these property declarations with your petition. But in a true default case, if you know going in that's how it's going to be, then you have to file those property declarations because you have to spell out and list out the asset or the debt, the value, and then you have to show it being divided 50-50. And that's one of the challenges we're talking about when it comes to true default cases. Even if you have an agreement, that and they're, but they're not going to participate, the court will not, because there is no agreement, allow you to divide your property, any anything other than 50 50. And I'm going to talk about a case we had several years ago where this was, did not work out for the petitioner. Excuse excuse me, not that they got taken advantage of, it's just that the spouse said they could keep all the assets, but the court obviously did not allow that through a true default, no agreement type case. So when you have, so we're talking about the petition. If you know it's going to be a true default, you have to file a specific way. And once you do that, you cannot change anything. So let's say you prepare the petition and you say these assets are going to be divided equally. When you get to the judgment, you have to spell that out exactly the same thing, same way. You can't then add an asset. Let's say you forgot an asset on your petition. You can't add an asset. You can't change an asset. You can't change the the division of it. It has to be spelled out exactly as the petition is. And this also causes uh, other issues as it relates to uh, spouse support, and literally everything that you request in the petition, if you have any change, changes, you need to start over, refile and amend your petition, reattach the property declarations, and resubmit your case, your petition and reserve it as well. You're basically starting from scratch. So let's dig into these issues. I'm going to talk about property division first, spell support issues, and then child support issues when it comes to doing a true default case. So the property must be divided equally. Let's say you have your spouse just doesn't want to participate for whatever reason. Maybe they think they have to file a response and don't want to pay the filing fee, which is not the case. There's there's a better way of doing that. But let's say that your spouse says, hey, you can keep these assets. I'll keep those assets. And the the property division isn't going to be equal. You cannot do that on a true, true default case with no agreement being submitted to the court unless your spouse actually signs a settlement agreement stating such. That's why we say it's a, always treated it as a last resort when you're doing your um, your divorce as a true default. There should be no other reason to do that. Don't do it because you think it's going to be easier. It's not. Don't do it because you think it's going to, you don't want to bother your spouse. It's going to cause you problems. Many, not all, but many of our judgment rejects when people call us. And like the previous cases I was talking about, attorneys, they were rejected because they were simple cases no assets, no debts, or minimal assets, but because there was any asset at all, it was causing the judgment to be rejected. And these were cases being handled by attorneys. So I'm just taking looking at my notes here as far as what else I want to talk about, I said, if you have an agreement that both parties will sign, you can divide up the property any way you want. That is called a default with a written agreement. So the, a default with a written agreement is the same as a default without an agreement, except you have an agreement, obviously, but it's still a default is what I wanted to say. It's still a default in, in that a response was not filed. It doesn't mean you're defaulted, like you, you didn't participate because we're doing this as a written agreement. Now, the difference between a default with written agreement and no agreement is you get to call the shots and how you want to divide up the assets and debts. And also where with the true default cases where there's no agreement, where if you made a mistake on the petition, if on a, a, a default with agreement type case, Um, you, that will supersede anything you put in the petition. So let's say in the petition, you listed three or four assets. And then when you got time to do your settlement agreement, you're like, Oh, we also have this asset and that asset. Um, you can add change, modify, divide up your assets and debts, however you like. And this goes for everything as far as spell support custody. For instance, if you asked for spell support in the petition, maybe, and, um, then you guys later agreed that you didn't want it, that's totally fine. You don't have to amend your petition. You can just then agree that there will be no spouse support in the settlement agreement. So that's why it's so much easier to do a divorce with a written agreement. So I want to talk about a particular case and kind of give you an example of how this, how this can really work out negatively if you do it as a true default. I'm just seeing if there are any comments are coming If you. you guys. Do have questions about paperwork, divorce forms, so forth? Have a judgment rejected? Let me know. We'll try and answer those questions at the end. So we had a case seven or eight years ago where parties were in agreement, uh, but the husband just didn't want to participate for whatever reason. And it happens once in a while. But they had a ton of assets, 401ks, pensions, a house. And we had already filed the petition because the assumption was they were amicable and cooperative. And then the husband decided not to participate. Well, when that happened, we cannot turn in a judgment and just have the spouse get all the assets, which is what the husband says, that, hey, you can have all the assets. I don't want anything of yours. And and that would have given her a lion's share of assets and not have to divide them. We're talking in the millions of dollars. So when this happened, when he didn't participate, the court basically forced the wife to give him his community property share. Because without an agreement to the contrary, you cannot split... You cannot divide your assets other than 50-50. So what we had to do in this particular case, even though the husband was verbally saying, you can have it all, we had to amend the petition, treat it as a true default case, put all the assets to the other spouse. Then we had to refile the case, and we had to um, reserve it, and then we had to draft the judgment exactly as the petition was filed on the true default case. So it can, it's definitely always better to have your case be a default with a written agreement. So now I want to talk about some spousal support issues that can happen on these true default cases. So there's some rules regarding spousal support as it relates to long-term marriages. If you've been married longer than 10 years, you cannot terminate the jurisdiction over spousal support, the court's jurisdiction over spousal support. Um, on a true default case. California law says that the court will retain jurisdiction on any marriages longer than 10 years. So if you, here are several issues that can come up with that. Let's say you're trying to file a, a default without a written agreement and you've been married longer than 10 years. And let's just talk about the spouse support issue. Let's just, we're going to leave out the property issue since we already discussed that. So if on your petition, you marked terminate the court's jurisdiction over petitioner respondent, Filed your petition, that's fine. That's going to go through just fine. They're not going to, you know, the court's not reviewing anything yet. And let's say you do all the paperwork fine, and then you get to the judgment phase and you turn in your judgment as a default without an agreement. The court's going to reject your judgment because you marked terminate jurisdiction on your petition. And even though you match that up on your judgment and marked terminate the court's jurisdiction, that goes against California law and they won't allow you to do that. So then what you would naturally do, right? Because they're not going to tell you how to fix this. What you would naturally do is you would say, okay, well, I'll just correct my judgment and I will mark reserved jurisdiction since that's what the court said is mandatory. So you redraft your judgment, you put reserved jurisdiction like the reject letter told you to do, you turn it in and guess what? It gets rejected again. Now, here's why, because it no longer matches the petition. So if you do the petition wrong in any skill, whether it's property, assets, debts, kids, whatever it's related to, it will cause your judgment to reject if you change anything so what does this person then have to do if they want to have their um, judgment approved they have to amend their petition they have to um, refile it reserve it wait again the 30 days because that sets aside the default it's a whole other story for that then you can turn in your judgment but you have to basically start from scratch go all the way back to where you started and refile. now one alternative you can do is if you don't want to amend the petition well, in that particular case, you would have to amend the petition because there's no way you're going to get that default or that um, no spouse support request in a marriage of longer than ten years without correcting that because you can't you can't fix it on just the judgment. You have to amend the petition altogether. Now, when this happens and people call me and they say, hey, Tim, we you know my judgment's rejected on this particular issue, the spouse support, um, long-term marriage are saying I can't do it on default. So my question always is to all these clients is, will your spouse sign a settlement agreement? And usually the answer is yes. And so when they say that, all we have to do is we don't have to amend the petition. All we have to do is draft a settlement agreement, and they sign the waiver language that indicates that spouse support will be waived. And that will that's the, 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 that's the game changer, if you will, in getting these cases through the court. Um, like I said, the three cases we took over this week that had attorneys prior Um, they're all trying to push it through as a true default without an agreement. And there are simple cases, limited property, mostly debt, um, and five rejections from an attorney. And like I said, in the beginning of this, if an attorney can't get a true default case through the court, you're going to have trouble getting it through the court. I saw that they're trying to set hearings. They're trying to get in with the court to explain, and they're just adding time, unnecessary billing. And there's an easy way to fix this. So the clients that hired us this week that had attorneys, we prepared a substitution of attorney form for them. The attorneys gladly signed it because they wanted to get out of this as well. They may not, you know, they may be asking for more money from their client since they're billing on an hourly rate versus the flat fees that we charge. But we took them over and we've already completed all of those cases. The paperwork is done. They've already signed their documents. We're just waiting for a notary. Then we can e file your case with the court and it's done. As a default, with written agreement, we can fix anything. With a true default case, they are the most problematic cases to get through the court, and you want to treat that as a last resort. Okay, so I want to talk about issues with as um, regards to um, children and child support. And I just want to take a look at my notes here real quick to see where we're at. So with the child support, and, and children involved in general, the first thing the court's going to want to know is why is a parent being defaulted? Why are they not participating in the divorce case when there's children in custody and all that? And it does happen. We don't see it too often with our cases because we're, we're taking, I should say all at this point, amicable cases where the parties in agreement, but where cases where maybe one spouse drops out or for some reason doesn't participate at some point, we will have to deal with these issues. But again, let's say that you filed your petition for, um, divorce and you have children. And on the uh, request for uh, parenting, you just put joint legal and joint physical and you don't put anything else on there. And then this state turns into a default without an agreement. When you go to do your judgment, that's all you can say on your uh, your final judgment. You can't add anything. Same with that. The spousal and the property division, you cannot add anything to your settlement agreement. Well, it's not a settlement agreement because no, no one's signing it. It's just a judgment but you can't change anything. So let's say you listed um, joint legal and physical custody for the children. When you submit your judgment, that's all, when you turn in that custody order, that's all it can say. You can't add anything to it. You can't add, you know, father to have these days or times. You can't make any changes. Your custody order will literally say joint legal and joint physical. And that's fine. Um, Most of our cases, because they're amicable, the clients are choosing just joint legal and physical. So that wouldn't be an issue. But the point of this being, if you, did make an error on that. Maybe you left, you, you missed a checkbox, you didn't, uh, or you marked by accident the other parties to have full custody or something like that. You can't change that on the judgment as a default without an agreement. Again, and this is why I keep harping on why you want to treat your case as a default with a written agreement or uncontested if you don't mind paying the filing fee, but I don't see why you'd want to do that. Do not do a default with a written agreement. It's going to set you up for failure in the process. And again, when our clients, when People call saying, hey, my judgment was rejected, Uh, and I look at their file. The first thing I I can see is if there hasn't been any forms filed by the respondent, usually like the the declaration regarding service of disclosure, which, by the way, you still, as the respondent, need to, uh, even if you haven't responded and you're doing a default with a written agreement, you still need to do certain paperwork. You still have to do disclosures and some other things. not a big deal, but then you can then be part of the case. You don't have to respond. You don't have to pay the filing fee and that's how we handle the majority of our cases.